Why don't we pray? Father, we are just encouraged that your word speaks to us and we hear you. And it's not through a fog, not through a dream, not through feelings, but it's through your clear word, your promises in your word gives us clarity, it gives us direction. Thy word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It is, we would be utterly in darkness, but because of your word and because you still speak through your word, even this morning we know and we expect to hear from God himself. And so, Father, we pray that uh, even as we hear this sober message, that, Lord, we would trust in Christ through it. We pray, Father, that uh, we would be sober in this great spiritual battle that is occurring. And, Father, if we've been sitting on the bleachers, you would put us in. Put us in the game. Father, we pray that you would help us and to remember and to recall your glory and your love that has been displayed at the cross. We will never ever get beyond the cross. Think it's old hat. Think it's for only new Christians. But Father, the cross is grace for this morning. That we celebrate that even in communion. Help us, Father, to dwell in your word and to grow this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in college, I remember a brother came up to visit me and he wanted to, uh, he was from my home church, and he wanted to stay in my dorm because he didn't have the college experience. He went to a trade school. And he wanted to stay in my college dorm, wanted to go to the student union. We had a little plaza there uh, in Southern California. He wanted to see what it was like to be a Christian in a very, very, um, uh, in, uh, to be a Christian in the university. And as I was going, we, I said, okay, here we go. We're going to, I was part of a Christian group there. And as we were going, I had some materials written. It was the name of our group and it had the name Christ. And we were in the elevator. It was funny. We were in the elevator going up because I just got my mail and we were going up into the, the student square where we were going to start sharing the gospel. And as we were there, um, someone read some of the materials just next to me read some of the materials that I was carrying and it had the name Christ in it. And very audibly, I mean, you can't hide anything in an elevator. Very audibly, this person said, said the name, said Christ, and, and repeated like three or four expletives while we were just sitting there. I did nothing. Just started cussing at him. <laughs> I just kind of smiled. And the person walked away, and my brother, who was with me at the time, he said, he looked at me, he says, what just happened? I can't believe that happened. I, and, and I just came to realize something, that he grew up in the church. He grew up, his father is a, uh, is a faithful minister in the church, served in the church, grew up in the church, 
uh, went to a Christian school, and as he grew, he never really saw the reality of the hostility against Christ. And I think sometimes we could even live in that almost imaginary hostility, and sometimes we create this with this, uh, we try and hide from it by having only Christian friends and only going to a Christian events and only going to a Christian church and uh, only doing Christian homeschooling and only doing, uh, and just kind of insulate ourselves from the world and not really seeing what the hostility of the world is about. Or sometimes we insulate ourselves by simply just never saying anything about Christ. I am not going to say anything about Christ because if I do, then there, there will be a cause to offend. So, you know, I'm just going to, I think the way of Christ is for me to kind of pussyfoot around the office and not really speak about the topics and not really talk about the only way for salvation, which is to repent and believe, repent of your sin and to believe on Christ. You know, if you're a Christian and you have no enemies, there is something wrong. Did you know that? If you are a Christian and you have no enemies, you're not standing up for anything. I think that's more of the case than, than not. The gospel is completely offensive. And when we share the gospel, every time we open our mouth, it is a risk. And you've got to be willing to take that risk every single time because your Savior died for you. And so, brothers and sisters, we come to this text, and the title of this sermon is Love in a Hostile Place. Love in a Hostile Place. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. John is going to talk about the signifying mark of the Christian, and that is love. The Christian ought to be marked with love. We ought to be marked with works of love, deeds of faith, good deeds, Words of kindness, words of compassion. But before he talks about that, notice he says all about that in uh, verses, um, in verses, uh, verse 17, whoever has the world's goods sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? And notice he keeps going. Verse 19, we will know by this we were of the truth and will assure before him, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us. And then he goes on and on and continues on with this theme of love. Okay, But before he talks about this theme of love, he does not want Christians, he doesn't want the church that he is writing to. And brothers and sisters, we ought not be naive. We ought not be gullible. We ought not think that just because we are Christians, everything is going to go honky-dory. It's going to be like a walk in the park. It's going to be easy as cake. Our lives are going to be that way. No one's ever going to dislike who we are or what we say. Brothers and sisters, you are not called to be liked by people. Did you know that? You are not called to be known as nice people. Now, gentle, yes. Kind, yes. But polite for polite's sake is not what you've been called to do. You have been called to preach the gospel of Christ. You've been called to be a witness for the gospel of Christ. Now, the text we're going to look at is verses 3, chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, and I'm going to read it here. For this is the message 
which you have heard from the beginning. And he's going to talk about the imperative. That we should love one another. It ought to be the signifying mark of the Christian. Okay? That we love one another. Verse 12. Not as Cain. Who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. God very simply gave this passage to you this morning so that you would love in a world that detests Christ. You would love in a world that detests Christ. And you notice he starts out in verse 11, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. This is a, not a new lesson. This is a lesson that a Christian should know. It is part of the new birth. When you are born again, now you have a new heart that desires to love others, but first and foremost, love God. There is new effect, affections. There is a new tenderness. The people that irritated you even as you were going to church, and now you have a new affection for them. I remember even as, a, as when I got saved, I, I had friends who had nothing in common with me. And this guy, he loved to sit in front of a TV and play video games his whole life. Right? I could not stand that, right? And as I came to Christ, this guy became very precious to me. And then this other guy who loves to go shopping all the time at the malls, I can't stand that still. Right? He became very precious to me. Why? Because God now gave me a love for the brethren. It doesn't matter the age anymore. It doesn't matter the background anymore. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you know Christ, there is a supernatural love that God has put in your heart. And now John is going to contrast that with the world. Now, to love in a hostile environment, to love Christ in a hostile environment, you have to be aware of the animosity that is present against him and his followers. You've got to be aware of it. John does not want you to be naive. God does not want you to be naive. Okay? There are three expressions of animosity that you must love through. God has called you to love through this. You are to be the demonstration of his love. Right? The Apostle John explains this animosity of the world to Christ and his followers by starting with the most severe to the more subtle. Okay? And so there are three different expressions of this animosity that God's 
people will endure from those who don't know him. The first one is you are called brothers and sisters and this is what you do and I want to encourage you to excel still more if you know Christ to love in the midst of murderous hearts. Love in the midst of murderous hearts. And John jumps right into it. And you notice he doesn't explain. He doesn't give any apologetics for the historicity of Genesis. He goes right into Genesis and he says, not as Cain. And for, in order for us to understand this portion, he says here, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. We got to go to Genesis chapter 4. So go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 is going to explain Cain. It's going to give us the background of what John is talking about. And now Cain is a historical figure. It actually happened. Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. Cain is now going to be the archetype of murderous hate. And he says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child. Again, she gave birth to Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of that time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain didn't follow what God had called him to do. Cain didn't offer in faith. We see that later in Hebrews. Okay? He didn't offer in faith. He offered in his own man-made way of worship. He decided to worship God in the way he wanted rather than the way God had outlined. Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. His face fell. Okay. Then the Lord said to him, why are you angry? Why has your countenance falling? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up and he is giving opportunity for Cain to repent okay if you do not do well sin is crouching at the door and it's a desire for you but you must master it Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they were in the field the way it's written there it's it's he brought him kind of by ambush he said come on let's go out here go to the field and as he's in the field he thinks God cannot see him but God sees every sin he thinks that no one could see what he's about to do as he has planned this. It is premeditated. It is evil. And then he says that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Go, going back to 1 John chapter 4, he says that it is in the non-Christian's heart when they are pushed to the brink that they are desirous to kill those who believe in Christ. Now, this may seem fantastic. This may seem almost unbelievable because here we are in a beautiful country that protects our religious freedoms and protects what we can believe. But brothers and sisters, this is not what we enjoy here is not the case all over the world. Cain here becomes the archetype of murderous hearts. Those who don't want to hear about Christ, and so they'll spit, 
Nashville killed. It is the archetype of the people at the cross. And then he says, who was of the evil one? We know it says the evil one is the devil. Because in John 8, 44, it says, you are of your father, the devil. This is what Jesus says. And you want to do the desires of their father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. It says that he slew his brother. The word here that's important for uh, slew, it's not the regular word for kill. This word here for slew means to slay. It means to slaughter. It means to butcher. It means to slaughter by cutting of the throat. It's used of a death of much violence. It has the connotation of being merciless. Now, what Cain probably was thinking, and if you think about it, the first time Cain ever saw death was right after Adam and Eve had fallen and God had slain uh, animals to cover them, cover their nakedness. And God had slain them. And now Cain is taking that and he's saying, okay, God, you don't like my sacrifice. You don't like what I'm doing with my life. You don't like what I have brought forth. Then let me kill my brother as you have killed these sheep. I will slaughter them. The text doesn't say simply kill, but slaughter. It's a violent death because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. It was motivated by jealousy. Now, even as we are here, I mean, Angelo, you might be saying, I don't suffer that. You know, we have many brothers who do. We have many brothers who are in this, suffering this. And I think that we are caught almost in such of a, an American bubble that is insulated from any other persecution. Do you know that the Bible says we are not promised religious freedom? The Bible says we are promised suffering. And so... I think we need to educate ourselves and get ready and prepare ourselves, especially to have compassion with our brothers and sisters who are in different countries. Compassion's when we are not facing it here, but because it's coming. Okay. The hostility towards Christ, the hostility for, towards Christ and how, how we are to live our lives is growing every single day. We need to understand this. I think uh, there's some books that I recommended. I think... I don't think it's, a, I think you do your kids a disservice if you hide this from them. Okay? If you hide this hostility. I think you do your kids a disservice if these are not their heroes. If their heroes are some scantily clad girl walking, prancing around the stage. If their heroes are someone who could hit a ball uh, uh, far away. If their heroes are someone who could shoot a basket from far away. Why are not their heroes the ones who stand for the faith and pay for it? Who are you esteeming in the home? Are you not esteeming those who are heroes in the faith? Fox's Book of Martyrs, published in 1563, of Protestants who died for their faith under Queen Mary, Bloody Mary. Uh, you hear story after story of children and families who have died because of their faith. She had many burned at the stake. And you may say, well, that's back then. That's not now. Open your eyes, brothers and sisters. It's now. Even in 2013, Angela Merkel, who is the chancellor of Germany, she said, 
She even said, she has the strongest, some of the strongest liberal policies, but she even said, Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. In the same article, it says, Christianity is facing elimination in its biblical homeland. Between half and two-thirds of Christians in the Middle East have departed or have been killed over the past century. Short attributes, uh, the intolerance and violence towards Christians to the rising Islamization of Middle Eastern countries. Some of the oppression is government-sanctioned. Some of, the, some of it is government-permitted. Most is government-ignored. And you see this. We see this even in Orissa when, when we were there at the state of Orissa when there was a, uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, a man and his son, they were sharing the gospel from house to house and he decided to sleep in their car and the Hindu mob circled the car and set it on fire and watched them burn and the government did nothing. These are our brothers and sisters. I think of our missionaries who are in some very dangerous places, right? And they're doing this for the glory of God. In 2016, uh, in another article, the most persecuted group in 2016 of all groups were Christians. This is the second year in a row. 90,000 Christians were killed for their beliefs worldwide last year. And nearly a third were at the hands of Islamic extremists like ISIS. Others were killed by state and non-state persecution, including places like North Korea. And yo, this is not broadcasted. This is not put in the media. It does not fit in the narrative of the media. But this is what's happening. Okay? The study has also found that as many as 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their faith in 2016. While the situation, I'm just reading the article, while the situation is most dire in the Middle East, brothers and sisters, you ought to know the 1040 window. The 1040 window is the latitude and longitude of the most unevangelized areas in the world. We have all of the Middle Eastern countries. We have India. We have Myanmar. We have all of uh, Indonesia. They're all in those places. And what are we as Christians going to do? We're just going to ignore it. We're just going to live our lives or are we going to pray? And are we going to support folks who go bravely? And are we going to send our own kids? For the gospel. This is what we are up against. And this is what Christ has called us to do. While the situation is most dire in the Middle East. Christianity is under assault in Africa and Asia too. According to an aid in the church in need. Study of incidences in 2015. It cited persecution at the hands of the Islamic terror groups known as Boko Haram in Nigeria, and other extremists in Sudan, Kenya, Tanzania, and other parts of the continent. And we do it because it is God, we have to ask the question, is he really worth it? And can I really take him at his promises? And sometimes we don't even open our mouths because we don't even want to face a raised eyebrow. We don't want to, we don't want to disturb people at a family dinner. Shame on us. Shame on us. 
Asia's Christians have been targeted by nationalist religious movements. Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist in such countries as Pakistan and India and Myanmar. Many of these groups increasingly view Christianity as foreign, colonial import, and believes its practitioners are doing the bidding of the West. The persecution of Christians has failed, this is good news, has failed to suppress the faith. On the contrary, Christianity appears to rapidly grow beneath the surface. I remember I was uh, teaching a class and preaching at one of these restricted countries, and he got saved. He got saved in. Uh, he got saved in Saudi, Saudi Arabia. And I told him, "What is it like to be a Christian in Saudi Arabia?" He says, "He says when we go to church, we would have to go uh, three hours ahead of time, and we would go separately so that no one would know that we are gathering in a room." He says that. We would go separately, and then we would wait, and then another couple would walk down, and then we would wait. And then when everyone was there behind several locked doors, that's when we would have our worship service. And then they would slowly disband, and they would have to do the opposite process as they left. It's a far cry from, I don't want to get up. I'm out of, thanks. I'm out, of, I'm out of car. Uh, I don't want to get up. I have to go to service. Isn't that a far cry? Isn't it a far cry? And these people, it is normal for them to be hated in this way. Our brother Theo and Ami, it is normal for them to be hated. I, I faced it, brothers and sisters. I don't, look, I don't look like our Caucasian brothers and sisters. I look like them. And so when I was there, I faced the racism that they were under. My wife was constantly uh, demeaned and, and cut in front of when we were in the grocery store. They treated us poorly, and I faced it. And it wasn't fake. It was real because we did not come from their own background. We did not share their religion. We did not hold on to what they believed. We have to be aware of of the plight of our brothers and sisters and provide aid and educate your youth, brothers and sisters, our youth. We need to educate them to this spiritual battle and we need to grow thick skin by the power of Christ. Secondly, from the most extreme to more moderate, love in the midst of hateful hearts. Love in the midst of hateful hearts, verses 13 and 15. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. He says, the text there is, do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. The word there for marvel means don't wonder. Don't be astonished. And the word really simply means to not be naive. And in fact, the very opposite of it is supposed to occur. Expect it. Well, that's not very American. Expect it as a Christian, brothers and sisters, that the world will hate you. Now, Jesus talks about this in John 15. In the passage that Mike was talking about, turn with me, John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 17. And you notice John is very consistent. It sounds just like 1 John. John, the gospel of John is the story 
of how it occurred and how Jesus, it's the account of the gospel narrative. The epistle of John is now the doctrinal teaching of what had occurred. And, but you'll see it clearly as what Christ is going to say. John chapter 15, verses 17 to 27. Now, this I command you that you love one another. Same principle. And now Jesus is going to say, love one another when it's easy. No. When we are, when we are having a potluck, not necessarily. He's not talking about that. He says, love one another when you face persecution. Now he says here, John chapter 15, verse 17 and 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it has hated you. The source of hatred is Christ. The source of animosity is Christ. When Paul said that he has an aroma of death to death, an aroma of life to life, when you share the gospel of Christ, those whom he calls, it is an aroma of life. It is sweet smelling to them. Those who hate him, they will strike back. Now, let me tell you, if you're not opening your mouth, you will never face it. But if you are not opening your mouth, you will never be used by God in this way. You will miss the blessing. Right? But understand this, okay? What they really hate, this, is, this was ingrained in me. What they really hate is the exclusivity and the person of Christ. You can talk about morals. You can talk about life plans and ambitions. You can talk about child rearing and marriage. And churches fill their pews with it. But when you talk about Christ, that's when people get upset. Right? I remember when I have a buddy, he preaches at um, abortion mills. And as he was there, you've got to see this video. It is the most frightening thing I've ever seen. Right? He was calling, he saw a, an abortion doctor and he was calling him to repent. He says, you're murder. And if you haven't seen the video, you have to see the video. Uh, our brother, he lives in Escondido. Our brother was preaching and he says, you need to repent and turn. And the guy said, I love to kill babies. I love it. I love it. I've never seen anyone so wicked like that and yet this is a common occurrence when you start to raise the name of christ because he was sharing christ right um notice he says here in verse 19 look at verse 19 if you were of the world the world would not love its own but because you are not of the world but i chose you out of the world because of the world hates you verse 19 he says you're not of the world the way you become identified brothers and sisters is when you don't say you own the values of the world. You don't value what they value. You don't treasure what they treasure anymore. You don't treasure the materialism. You don't treasure the status. You don't treasure an open worldview of, of everything's okay. I don't value that anymore. Then you become identified. Okay? This is Christ just commenting on people and how they hate you. Okay? Verse 20. Remember the word that said, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what does it say? They will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. This is the way of Christ and the brothers and sisters. 
if you do follow Christ, you will face persecution. Jesus himself said it. Okay? And if you're not facing persecution, there is something wrong. You are not standing up for the faith. Okay? Because Christ said it. It's either, it's the, if you are standing up for Christ, you're either facing persecution now or you will. It's coming around the corner. Okay. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. They do it because of spiritual ignorance. Okay. They don't know Christ. It is not a matter of argumentation. It is not a matter of rhetoric. It is not a matter of eloquence. It's because they don't know Christ. Right? You could argue it till you're blue in the face. It's because they don't know Christ. Verse 22. If I had come and spoke to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for the sin. Your very life, when you're around them, makes them uncomfortable. It exposes their sin. In John chapter 3, it says that their deeds, their deeds are exposed by us. It's, it's quite funny. I mean, I never said anything, but it's funny. When I go into the gym, they're playing um, really vile music, right? And as soon as I walk in, they turn it off and they change it all the time. They say, oh, Angelo's here. They change it. I never asked them to, right? But what is it doing? What is it doing? Your very presence, if you're living for Christ and you're preaching Christ, exposes them. They know in their hearts they shouldn't be thinking about girls in that way, thinking about money in that way, thinking about pride and lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life that way. They know it, but when you walk in, when, you, when I walk in and all of a sudden the music is different, they change. I remember when I was on the swim team. I just got saved. I used to tell the foulest of jokes, and then I stopped because I got saved, and everyone knew I got saved, right? And then at the end of the swim meet, we came back on the bus. We were on the bus. Aaron knows. He, he was, a, he was a, my rival high school. We swam against him, him and Ryan Rippey, right? When I remember when... Uh, we're on the bus, this one girl stopped, and she just said, you know what, we need to stop, because I could tell, you know, this is, this is wrong. I mean, it's, it's probably offending Angela. We need to apologize to Angela. I said nothing. Right? It exposes, oh, brothers, oh, sisters, live a life that is bright. Do not hide it under a bushel. Live a life that is bright. Expose the sin. Right? Expose it. Now, it says here, verse 23, Jesus says, He who hates me hates my father also. There is hatred of God. Verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have seen and hated me. Verse 24, The clearer the expression of Christ in his glory, the greater hostility and animosity. Verse 25. They have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. It validates the word of God. But I love this 26 and 27. I almost skipped it, but 26 and 27. Notice he says here, when the helper comes. 
it is attached to living a witness for Christ in a hostile world. He says, you will not be alone. Oh, this is sweet, right? I have the helper. And when I send him to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And then look at 27. This is beautiful. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Brothers and sisters, we have the spirit of God to speak up. You have the Spirit of God to speak up. Now, um, going back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. We know we have passed out of death into life. It is an indication. If you have a love for the brethren, it's one of the indications that you are saved. If you don't, you abide in death. Let's finish up lastly, lastly. Verses 16 to 18. Verses 16 to 18. So you have love in the midst of murderous hearts. Love in the midst of hateful hearts. And then lastly we have love in the midst of indifferent hearts. Indifferent hearts. This is hatred by just not caring. Hatred by just not caring. Notice he says in verse 16, we know love by this. Okay, This is the definer of love. This is how we've experienced love. This is where our source of love is. This is where our hope of love is. He goes, we know love by this. How could we not love? We know it by, what does it say? That he laid down his life for us, brothers and sisters, even as we celebrate communion now. We know the model of Christ himself. He said what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing while they are nailing him to the cross. He says to the robbers both, he says to the robbers who are in the robber who has repented, who is next to him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, brothers and sisters, what is going to be the fount, the engine, the power, the motivation? What is going to allow you to endure the, the snickering and the jokes? Oh, Mr. Holy Man. Oh, Mr. Preacher. Oh, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You think you're holier than us? What is going to allow you to feel that and to endure it even from your own family? That he laid down his life for us. He voluntarily put it down. Now, brothers and sisters, if you think you're going to have it in you to care for someone, oh man, I, 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 <laughs> there was one time we were on the field and I, I just say this to, as, a, as a confession, but uh, I'm glad I have a godly wife because I was, I was just so tired of getting cut off on the road. I mean, I'm driving these cows and this pig on the road and people, I mean, they literally run into your car and it was hot and the air conditioner wasn't working and it was about 115 and humidity of 90. 
okay? The kids in the back, they're almost passed out, right? And, and, and the motorcycles, they'll just hit, they'll hit you and keep driving. They'll scratch your car and keep going, right? And I'm just irritated and bugged, and I'm, I'm in the flesh, and I'm at my last. I'm at my last. You ever been there? And I'm hungry, too, right? So I'm at the very end, and I say, and I'm like this, and I'm driving, right? And you shift with the left because you're on the other side. But I'm driving, and, I'm, and I just can't stand it. And my wife bends over to me because we have to encourage each other. You ever notice God gives us a grace when, here's the grace, when your husband is having a hard time, maybe the wife is in her right mind in Christ, or when your wife is having a hard time, maybe your husband is on, in his right mind, and he can encourage you. That's how we ought, we ought to operate with each other. Okay? And she, she goes, you know what? We came here to glorify Christ. We came here because they don't know Christ. That's why we're here. And I stopped on the road, because I'm still fuming, right? And Christ was enough for me then. And he softened my heart again. How are you going to deal with the mockings of your atheist uncle who is at the Christmas dinner table, who mocks you and what you believe, knowing that Christ laid down his life for you? He faced the ultimate hostility, the most innocent man. He faced the ultimate hostility in the face of injustice. If he can do it by the, by the power of the Spirit who was given to him, so I can do it. What are, how are you going to face the smirks of a kid who doesn't believe in Christ? Because, through this, through Christ. How are you going to face the smirks of parents who don't really bow to the word of Christ or, or those Facebook comments or Twitter comments whenever you share a verse, someone has some kind of snarky remark. How are you going to face it and not blow up? This. He laid down his life for us. I can face it now with a smile. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And now it moves on to whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his hearts against him. How does the love of God abide in him? He says, let us not love in, um, with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. That what we say and how we live, we cannot close our hearts to the needs of others. That's not how Christ was. He was provided for us. So let me close in on this. How do we apply all of this? Okay. I was, I was studying this. How do I apply that someone hates me? Or I should expect that someone hates me. How do I apply that, right? First, we need to pray for them. Matthew 5 says, love your enemies and praise for those who persecute you. Secondly, you have to love them. Luke 6, 27 says, love your enemies, do good. To those who hate you. Thirdly, you have to speak the gospel graciously. 2 Timothy 2, 24 says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, 
with gentleness, not mocking people, okay? Not mocking people. I can't stand it when Christians are online and they mock people of different religions or uh, political persuasions or who believe in different sexualities, okay? They mock them. We don't mock them if we're trying to win them. We speak gently with kindness. Why? Because in, in, in the eyes of God, when Paul wrote this, that our attitude by which we share the gospel counts as well. Not just what we say, but how we say it. He says, gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Why? If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Lastly, you have to receive it. Receive this suffering. This is how God has designed it. First uh, Peter chapter 2 says, You've been called for this purpose, verse 21, since Christ also suffered, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Pray, love, speak, receive. Brothers and sisters, let us love in this hostile world and not be naive. But before you go out, be filled with the love of Christ, filled with the gospel, filled with what Christ has done. And you'll be able to endure. You'll be able to persevere in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would help us even as we think about this communion Sunday. We pray, Father, that you would use us for your glory. Thank you that your son laid down his life voluntarily, that we might be forgiven and that we might be cleansed. We pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.